Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Today I have the distinct pleasure of chatting with Jenny Eden Burke. Jenny, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? Awesome. Every time I'm podcasting, I'm awesome because I love doing it. So yeah. I'm always super excited. And this is, I'm, I'm very happy about having you on for lots of reasons. But one of the issues that is the most difficult for me to get people to discuss is any issue with eating. And I've had a couple of people on that have discussed their own eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that because it's a tough subject, but it affects so many people widely. Mm-hmm. So true. So your website to jump in and start out is Jenny Eden. So it's your name. It's oh, is it Jenny Eden Coaching? Yeah. Sorry, JennyEdenCoaching.com. Okay. I have it right in front of me. <laughs> and you are a certified eating psychology coach. Yes. Tell me, we're going to jump back, but tell me about what you do for people right now if someone gets in. Yeah, so essentially I help women and men and teens heal their relationship, often fraught relationship with food and with their bodies. And, you know, it's a very personal topic and um, it's something that I like to go deeper in because we all have a food story. We all have a story about our appetites and our bodies and, you know, that feeds into a certain narrative about who we are. And I have found that people are so confused and so frustrated about how to freaking nourish themselves because there's so many experts telling them what to do and don't eat after six and don't eat carbs, but do eat that. Oh my gosh, I was wrong. Let me, let me change that. The new research has come out. And what happens is that people completely lose their ability to have intrinsic wisdom about how to nourish themselves and they give over their power to experts And uh, what I try to help people do is to start to trust themselves again and to build eating empowerment through their own natural body cues, their own internal wisdom, and and through a lot of like mindful eating techniques and um, embodiment techniques. I know for me, I have, I had a a fitness coach, um, a personal trainer, and I had had a hysterectomy, seven pregnancies, hysterectomy, and I just felt like... I, I wasn't super heavy, but the hysterectomy surgery, I put on 35 pounds, mm. but I just wanted to feel like I had my body back. I had no problem giving it up for pregnancies and uh, the hysterectomy was necessary. <laughs> so, you know, we, sometimes we give our bodies up for outside reasons too. And my first physical train, my personal trainer, he put me on, he just put me in the box, you know, this is the diet you're supposed to have. I just in, and I felt horrible, mm. horrible, you know, and I, then I had someone else who said, wait a minute, we need to think about kind of what works best for you, not just plug you in the box. And so I love that philosophy. You go far deeper, but just my own personal experience with that. Um, and I also personally have learned that Anytime something comes up, I remember, I don't know why this one sticks with me so much, but like chia seeds will fix everything, right? (laughs) 
I don't know why chia seeds sticks out. It was such a big deal. Chia seeds are great. They're awesome. <laughs> they do have all of those health benefits, but they're stuck in your teeth though. <laughs> yeah, true, true. But I mean, and and they're gross and jelly, and you know, and people will suck them down because it's the newest trend. And anytime there's a latest greatest, I think nope. Not going there. Not going the latest, greatest. <laughs> so it's so hard for people because there, we are, we're inundated. And statistically, tell me if I'm off at all on this, but photos that we see in magazines on the internet are almost 100% airbrushed. They're altered. Pretty much. Yeah. And we have one of the highest obesity rates in the world. We do. We do. And so all of our like efforts to try to diet and to exercise and to lead a healthy lifestyle is failing because people are not trusting themselves. They're giving over their power to experts. And like you said, it's like, it's the latest trend. Let's, let's, it's like the quick fix. Let's try this, let's try that. And in the process, they're actually deregulating their hormones or hunger hormones. They're creating stress response in their bodies, which makes it virtually impossible to lose weight in the first place. And we're just left with like complete fear and confusion about how to eat. And, you know, you're absolutely right. You eat differently when you're pregnant. You eat differently when you're training for a marathon. You eat differently when you're going through a life event. And there's no cookie-cutter way to eat. And yet we've, like, in our society, we've built this, like, morality around food and around diet. Like, this is the perfect diet. And you must do this if you want that. And I just, I just think it's ridiculous because it's all about the bio-individuality. Bio and each person has a different biochemistry, has different lifestyle, has a different familial history with food, has a different um, needs. Some have allergies, some have different food proclivities. So I like to honor all of that and say, like, what's your lifestyle? How are we going to fit eating empowerment into who you are? Awesome. So I want to go back. Tell me when and where you were born. I was born in New York, New York. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I lived in this little part of New York called... Um, Peter Cooper Village, which is in like around 21st and Avenue A. And then I uh, moved to the suburbs when I was about three. Okay. And I'm from New England and we don't have accents. <laughs> <laughs> wicked. It's well, wicked. I live, it is I live wicked. in Boston now. So I'm, I feel like I have no accent, but sometimes I'll hear like certain Boston stuff come out and I'm like, oh, I'm really in Boston now. <laughs> There are certain words that are hard if you were raised in New England. They're, they just don't. Awesome is one of them. And awesome. Sean. And, you know, like, I can't, I, I have to, like, painfully think to get it right, <laughs> to get it, get it Midwestern. So you were raised there. And tell me a little bit about how you were raised. Because we all have a journey mm -hmm. that got us from where we were growing up, I feel, to where we are as adults. So I want to kind of tie that in. Tell me, you had, you had some... Um, things that happened to you and I've been on your website and cyber stalked you so I know a little bit so I want the audience to know more about you than they can find out online tell me about growing up yeah so I had a very loving um, healthy um, childhood I have one brother I had my you know, my parents sadly my dad just passed in September but they were married 50 years it was a very beautiful healthy relationship um, but so it's kind of like and I write about this in my book I'm like I don't know why I ended up having such disordered eating and to having such like self-esteem issues because I, all the right alchemy was there. However, we were growing, I was growing up in the eighties and dieting culture was huge then. I mean, it was just like 
the start of all these dieting trends and people got really swept up into the, into the vernacular of dieting culture. And my mom, who is an amazing, wonderful person, is also teeny tiny and she's a gourmet chef. And I would come home from school, like having these amazing after school snacks. Like it was not like apples. <laughs> we had like swans made out of pastry and she'd like test all these amazing recipes on us. And so I'd get these like mixed messages, like on the one hand, here, try this amazing food. Food is love, you know, here, I made this for you. And on the other hand, I would, you know, I'd get messages more tacitly like, but you better watch it. You know, are you sure you want seconds? And, you know, I would see my mom sort of examining herself in the mirror a lot and doing the different diets because it's what everybody did. So I was very confused because I was the only one in my family who had any sort of weight issue. And I, and I tended to eat more than other people in my family too. And so I always felt like something was wrong with me. Like I love food too much, you know, or like you, you can't love food and like be thin at the same time. It, it was just a really troubling kind of environment. And, you know, like my parents did the best that they could and they were so loving and like, you know, it was like they did everything right, but I still got the message that dieting is important and being in a smaller body, that's important. I better do that. And then of course, once I was in school, um, I started to realize like, I guess I'm bigger than other kids. And I guess like, it's important, you know, I'm not going to be the one doing all the like push-ups and pull-ups in gym class. I'm not going to be the one picked on the teams because I'm a bit slower. So a lot of those sort of seep into my consciousness. And what ended up happening was I was completely obsessed with being smaller my entire life until I finally broke away from that. But it was, it was definitely tough. And food was very important to me. Size was very important to me. I love you talking about that. It's like a dichotomy, you know, we're supposed to love this, love food. Food's put in front of us. It's plated very well. The portions in the United States, I don't know about other countries. They are enormous. As a matter of fact, I remember talking to somebody once who's about 50 now and said that the, the plate sizes, just the sizes of our plates for dinner used to be like the doll plates are now. You know, I mean, like, that's crazy. So portions are huge and food is huge. And also where our food comes from is a big deal. I'm yeah. hoping we can get a touch on that at some point um, because wheat's not what wheat used to be. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then there's so much, I mean, when you think about everything, the additives and preservatives and flavor enhancers and all that, yeah, my homemade food might taste like crap to somebody who's used to it, <laughs> right? Because I don't have MSG food. And I, have, I have none of that in my food. So I, I think it's interesting that we're supposed to, food is such a, an emotional, it brings us together. We can think of Thanksgiving, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so uh, with your mom being a gourmet chef, I mean, geez, so you had that? <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was hard because yeah, I would get, I would get these amazing meals and like, she was, it was very encouraging. And, but then I also, on the one hand, it was like, here, have this. And on the other hand, it's like, do you want to try Weight Watchers? Do you want to do this? Like, I would I would be like, wait a minute, you know, and, and I understand that a lot of that was from my own, like from my peers, like real recognizing that I was bigger than my peers and maybe I should do something about that. But it, it was a, for a child, it's very confusing to know 
which voice to listen to, you know what I mean? And I felt like my whole life I was either listening, I was, I had these two choices. One is subscribe and conform to society ideas, ideals, you know, do whatever you need to do to be thin or else you won't be loved, you won't be accepted, you won't be admired, you won't whatever. Or I could listen to all this, this other voice that I had. It was always deep down saying, you know what, you're fine the way you are. You're a beautiful girl. Like, don't, you don't have to do this. Don't bully your body like this, you know? And I, and I sort of drowned it out and I would just listen to this voice for so long that it just took over everything I, everything I did in my life. That was the main goal. Do you think sometimes neither voice is right? I, I truly believe that your own voice, the one that's really sort of whispering in your ear, knowing what's right, knowing what's true is the one that's correct. And that, and your voice might be totally different than mine. Right. But like once I started listening to this other voice, I started to feel so much expansiveness in my life. I started to see what was possible. I started to prioritize other things in my life that I wouldn't even have considered before. So it was for me, it was huge, huge, huge. And, and I wish more like little girls would listen to that other voice too, you know? Oh, I do know. I do know that. Cause then we have kids. Yeah. And, you know, I have, I, I think maybe one of the reasons I love the discussion about eating so much is because I don't have, I've never like, you know, people will say, well, I have a sweet tooth or I love salty or I love carbs and I don't care about any of it. Like I, I absolutely am totally neutral about food in general. I love food that tastes great and that's good for me. And mm -hmm. sometimes I'm the one that's like, oh yeah, I should probably eat. <laughs> because I'm not, I have no drive with food to a fault, to the opposite fall. And it's not like forgetting to eat so that you lose weight. I mean, I just really don't consider it sometimes. And so I come from such the opposite where every once in a while, if I run a lot, I want salt because my body needs it, mm -hmm. period. Like otherwise I don't care about a lot of stuff. And so I find it very interesting because I've ended up, I'm one of the, I, I cooked all of our food growing up and I, we always ate healthy, but there was a balance because we would have pizza night, mostly because that's when you had soda, so you could have a burping contest. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and you I, and I right. yeah, yeah, you have to prioritize your food. But I felt like because of that, like you, sugar's not bad, it's not horrible, it's not terrible, but everything in moderation. But I have kids with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Even though I felt like you're talking, you're describing your parents, you come from a great place as far as foods related, and you still end up having an issue with it. And for me, that's very confusing. For the parent, from your mom's perspective, I think, wow, I feel like I did a really good job. But yeah, and we, and we, and she did, you know, like, ultimately, I started listening to that other voice, right? So it was there all along, I just had to listen to it. And, um, you know, my mom was always, I, I think it was more the tacit messages than the overt messages, meaning, like, like I would get the message because she looked in the mirror a lot. Like girls see that. Girls see how their moms feel about their own bodies just by observing, just by seeing, oh, she's, she's kind of like sideways looking in the mirror, pushing in her stomach, you know, like, why is she doing that? Like, what's wrong? She's beautiful. You know, a, ch a child always thinks their mother is beautiful and perfect. And I mean, in the beginning, <laughs> like, um, you know, and then, then I get the outside influences of like, my peers and society and Teen Bop magazine. You don't see the women with like varicose veins and like, 
you know, like stretch marks and like, they're not the ones getting the guy at the end. So you get those messages like all over the place. And what's the solution? Oh, okay. I can stop eating. I can over exercise. There are things I can do here. I'm not stuck with having this body. I can change it. And I'm going to be empowered by this way. And I kept thinking like, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be happy. I'll get the guy. I'm going to be successful. And ultimately I was miserable (laughs) the whole time. I was miserable. You know, I think there's even little nuances. Like I'm five foot eight and curvy. If you're five foot one and you have a much bigger chest than I am, than I have, you know, like we're never going to look the same in a picture. There is not possible. And so I think we have this completely skewed, even without airbrushing and all of the changes and all that. You, you are never going to look the same as that person. Mm -hmm. So it's with my girls, I'm like, look, you're five foot one. So let's have a blast with five foot one and a D cup, D cup boobs. How can we have (laughs) like you, you and I are not going to wear the same clothes and look good in them. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So instead of wanting what we don't have or having the grass always greener or comparing ourselves to someone in a picture who may be nothing built, nothing like we are, you know, we, instead of just saying, okay, this is, this is who I am. This is how I was delivered here. (laughs) And I'm, I'm never going to make myself five foot one any more than my five foot one daughter is going to be five foot eight. And we're never going to look the same. Yeah, I, can, I remember this like episode of Brady Bunch where okay. like I think it's Bobby wanted to be taller so bad, and he started like stretching himself on this thing, and it's like and like Marshall was like it's never gonna happen, like it'll happen or it won't, and you know we we come in all different packages and diver- we're so diverse, right? And we somehow accept all these different types of personalities. Like some people are gregarious, some people are shy, some people are introverts, but but we don't accept the diversity that we have on the exterior. And that seems really unfair to me. Like, yeah. be all kinds of, you know, whatever, be it our own people as a, in our personalities, but we have to conform to a certain bodily, you know, body ideal. And I think that is, it just makes things so difficult for most girls and for men too. Like men yeah. also have struggle with this kind of thing too. And um, once I've started to like realize, like I can be part of the solution here, I can yes. show people that it's okay to be curvy and it's okay to, and if you're, and if you're thin and really, really super thin, that's okay too. And like, that's who you are. That's, you know, how you were born and let's, let's own our assets and let's um, own who we are. Exactly. Now I'm going to jump a little bit back. Tell me what happened. You were 15 and there was an issue that happened with you. And I want to know more about like emotionally how Mm. that affected you. Yeah. So I, so now you have the, the backdrop of me. Okay. need to be thin. I need to lose weight. I need to do whatever I can. And it was always hard for me. Like I always felt like I had to work harder than other people to be that size, to, to, to change my shape and my weight and my size. And I was so frustrated. I was so angry at my body. Like, why, why don't you just cooperate with me? Why don't you just do what I want you to do? Right. And I was always tired and I was like, always struggling with my weight. So I finally went to see a doctor. My mom sent me to an endocrinologist and turns out I have hypothyroidism. I have Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune um, disorder related to thyroid disease. And all of a sudden everything made sense because when you suffer from Hashimoto's and um, thyroid disease, especially um, hypothyroidism, it's 
your metabolism is not the same as others. You, um, everything is regulated differently. You have, you do have to work harder to lose weight or to maintain weight. You are tired a lot. You're colder than other people. So with that revelation, I was like, ah, oh, I felt so disempowered. Like I was like, here I am trying to do whatever I can by any means to be thin. And now I have this physical sort of barrier as well. Like, how am I ever going to do this? Like, I just, I'm tired, you know, and I was only 15. I'm like, I'm tired. Um, so I really struggled with it because I felt like different than other people. Um, I didn't know what was in store for me. Like, would I, would I gain a hundred pounds? Like, well, how is this going to manifest on my body? Like, I didn't know. I start taking medicine for the rest of my life. Um, it has to be regulated every three to six months. I have to make sure like, if I start to feel symptoms, I got to like change my medication. So it's been a real struggle because I'm not that I, I don't blame the Hashimoto's on me struggling to lose weight, but I, it definitely didn't make it easier. And I felt like I had yet one more roadblock to get to this Shangri-La space, this place. Right. And, and I was angry. I was angry that I had it and that my mom didn't have it. And why, why did I have this and who did I get it from? And how was I going to navigate it? You know? So still, that's something that every three to six months you have to regulate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do because it can shift, and it's it's interesting. It shifts like with the seasons too. So when I start to get colder and it gets darker, your your hormones are affected by that. And my thyroid almost oh I always almost always need more medicine in the winter months than I do in the summer months. And a lot of it has to do with there's I don't know all the details, but your vitamin D levels are also considered a hormone, and it can. Um, work symbiotically with your thyroid. So I've, I found out that my vitamin D levels are always low. So uh, that was a huge connection that I made even like a couple of years ago. And I started to, to dose more with vitamin D, which also helps my thyroid. So I'm constantly monitor, monitoring this. And holy cow, with vitamin D, if you're deficient, the side effects are huge. I don't think people understand how, you're right. Like that's a big deal. Big, big deal. deal. Yeah. So that gives you, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking that gives you so much more personal knowledge with the people that you're helping. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of empathy, honestly, like people will come in like, I don't think you're going to get it, but like, I've done everything to lose weight. And I, I just, my body, I'm just a weight gain machine. Like I can't, I can't lose weight. Or, or like, I've been through menopause and this, all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I do get it. I really, really understand the pain that you're in. And I really want to support you and shift, shift the goal a little bit. Let's make you happy. Let's, let's change the goalposts. You know what I mean? Which is what I did for myself, which was like, okay, this is my size and shape. What can I do to eat the best I can, you know, feel good in my skin, move in a way that's honoring my body and live the healthiest life I possibly can. And then my body's going to do whatever it does. Right. Can I accept that? And I finally was like, yeah, I can. I can because the alternative was so much pain and so much frustration and so much anger at my body. It was angry. And I wanted to like scream and be like, what is it going to take? You know? And then when I, when I let go of that anger and I started to say to myself, you know what? My stomach isn't here to like criticize about how flabby it is. It, it's here because I was, I bore three children in this belly, you know, like, I am so grateful for this, for this vessel, for this 
body. You know, I started to see my arms like in a different way. Like I used to be like, oh, look at the flab here. Look, I'm kind of, you know, now I'm like, these arms are for carrying groceries. These arms are for hugging people, the people that I love. These arms are for so much more than just criticizing. And once I made that huge paradigm shift, there was so much healing that happened. And I've, I've never been happier, even though I'm having, I'm in a larger body. I'm in a happier, I'm happier and I feel better. You're um, talking about emo your emotion. It's all emotional. I mean, yeah. it is physical, but it's predominantly emotional. Yeah. Cause I stopped bullying my body. I finally like waved the right white flag and I'm like, okay, I surrender. Like let's work together on this and let's see what can I, how can I eat in a way that makes me feel that I'm allowing myself to have pleasure because right? I was constantly denying myself and I had no pleasure whatsoever and I was miserable and I was always the one like okay I'll, I'll have some lettuce you, you you enjoy that like decadent meal over there I'm gonna have some lettuce over here and I was always the one left out and I was always like I had to be different and um when I just was like I forgive you like I wrote a letter to my body and I was like I forgive you and I I'm sorry I'm sorry that I beat up on you I'm sorry that I treated you this way like you don't deserve this and my body started re to finally respond in kind you know like started to like not be in a stress response all the time i started to feel really relaxed i started to feel open i, I would never have been able to start my business had i not taken that big step and I wrote a book. I, like, I never would have been able to write a book. You know? I'm good. I'm glad you just brought that up because that was one of the things that I wanted to um, discuss also. that So you were inspired. Well, first of all, you got your master's. We haven't kind of gone all the way through. You went to school and you got your master's in psychology and education. Mm -hmm. And then you went on and got your certificate in eating psychology, coaching, and mindful eating. Yes. So you took your psychology, all the emotional stuff, that master's, and took it to the physical. Yeah. And so I originally was going to be like a school counselor or something. And right. I decided, you know, I got an internship. At, at, I went to UPenn and I, and I got an internship in the school, in the health education department. And I was like, Ooh, I really like this. This is fun. I'm working with people with health. And then I met my husband and I moved to Boston and I got a job that I stayed at for 50 almost 15 years uh, as a health educator and I was doing obesity treatment. So I was helping people to, isn't it ironic? Like that's my career. I ended up helping people lose weight, <laughs> even though I, I struggled my whole life to lose weight. Now I was helping other people lose weight. And still I felt like the huge spotlight was on me. I felt like um, all this pressure to be really thin because I wanted to be a role model for these people. But what I realized over that time, and it was, it was, wonderful job I helped a lot of people but I wasn't getting to the root cause yeah. of why people feel so called to overeat or to binge eat or to all the emotional and psychological stuff was not dealt with at all and people would lose weight yes but they'd gain it right back and they'd have no answers and I'm like you know what I'm ready to go deeper I'm ready to like figure out how I can really help people um, not just to put a band-aid on a salve on a wound but to like really heal people from the inside out and understand why they feel a cause to eat, to overeat, right? So that's why I went to this, um, to get my certificate in eating psychology. And um, I, I just felt so called to do this on such a deep level. And I think part of the reason why I'm effective as a coach is because I've struggled myself. Yep. 
And the struggle is what endears people to you. You don't, I could be like, you know, like a thin nutritionist or like whatever. And I used to feel like no one's going to want to work with me because I'm like, I'm heavier and this and that. But that's all wrong because people love and, and really trust me because they know I've been through it. They know I've been in the trenches with them. They know I've experienced the pain that they have and that we're doing this together. You know, you only have to be a couple steps ahead of your client to really yeah. enact and affect change. So it's been that Well, way. it is emotional too, right? I mean, no, yeah. this is all emotional. And so even though it's, I mean, some of it is physical, like you're saying, overeating is one, one thing that you've mentioned. And yeah, so maybe we can address that part or the binge eating or those are not healthy physical things that you're doing, but you're right. Like this is all emotional. So mm -hmm. if I go to somebody for anything, isn't that why women like female OBGYNs? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Because I, I, and I've had great luck with male OBGYNs, but I get women want you to have the same junk as I have. If you're <laughs> going to tell me about my junk, you know, you're going to feel time. discomfort during your periods. How do you know you're a guy? <laughs> when I was pregnant, I went to see um, a different gynecologist or OBGYN and he came in. I instantly felt really uncomfortable. Then he was like, you know, you're gaining a lot of weight for your pregnancy. And I was like, no shit, Sherlock. Like, what, what, tell me something I don't know. What am I supposed to do about it? You know, like, I just felt like really, he was really insensitive. And I'm like, yeah, that's why. I, I was yeah, just see, I, and so, yes, we want the person who's a couple steps ahead of us because yeah. we need that because we're a couple yeah. steps behind. Yes, yes. Anybody I go to see, you know, my, my, I have a daughter that suffers from anxiety. And she said, I want to, she's been through therapy. I want to try hypnotherapy. She found a hypnotherapist that literally was, she learned how to become a hypnotherapist because she had gone through it. Yeah, totally. You, you, you want the people to get you. Yes, you want to, people to understand your struggle, right? And yeah. that's really what it is. Like whenever I meet somebody who I feel is truly authentic, they've been through what I've been through, I immediately feel like a trust, a kindred spirit with that person, you know? And I feel like all effective coaches and healers and doctors and practitioners are effective because of the struggle. Like it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's what empowers you to do the work that you do. Yeah, I totally agree. So your best-selling book, it's called The Body Image Blueprint. Tell me a little bit about that, how that came into fruition. Yeah. So I had the book in my head for like a long time, a really long time. And I, you know, I have three young daughters and I, I was working full time. I just couldn't find the time or space or energy to really do anything with it. And then I found this, um, this beta course. It was write and publish your book in 90 days. And I was like, okay, I'm in. It was a free course. <laughs> and this woman, her name's Kathy Wheeler. She helped me, um, helped all of us kind of go from the, from the concept all the way to self-publishing in 90 days. And I was like, yeah, whatever, how am I going to do that? But like, it was all here. And once I had permission and some, like a little bit of like coaching and a little bit of support, I just poured out and literally I wrote it in two weeks, the, the content. And what's interesting about the book is that the first part of it is just my whole journey of dieting indoctrination and then how I wrestled out of it eventually. But the second part of the book, I actually interviewed over 60 people uh, mostly women, a couple of men, eight, ranging from ages of 22 to 70. And I, and I asked all kinds of questions like about their own body image journeys 
And there was such a commonality between us that, it, oh gosh, everything they wrote was so generous and so gracious and so brave and courageous. And I wanted to put like every single quote in there, but I put some really powerful quotes from other people in there so that the reader could be like, that's me. I get her. I get that. That's my story too. And, um, and then I was able to like extract some themes about, you know, when people tended to feel most comfortable in their skin, when they feel least comfortable in their skin, all these different questions. And then the last part of the book is like straight up self-help. Like I've identified four body image healing realms and I get into each one with very specific steps and techniques to help people to start to love and accept their bodies. And I, I love, I, sorry, I, no, no, it's okay. I love that. I feel so proud of people with the letters after their name, but I also feel like that's not enough or just because someone else, somebody else could not have all the letters after their name and do better because they had the journey like we're talking about. You mm -hmm. have both. Thank you. Which I, I think is a beautiful thing. So you got the letters after your name and all of the training and all of the time in the trenches, especially helping people with obesity. Mm -hmm. And then you tied it in with your own experience and the emotion. That yeah. is, that's a great recipe. Thank you so much. That means You're a very lot. welcome. Um, so how hard was it for you though? Okay, so you're working full time. You know, you have a good degree, you have a good job, you've worked there for a long time, you are helping people, even though you know it's not quite right, you're figuring out the formula in your head that you know will bridge that gap between what's physically going on and what's emotionally going on. How hard was that leap? It was pretty hard <laughs> because I had been doing this for so long. I felt so comfortable and skilled at what I was doing. Like it was down to like a science, right? And I felt very, very skilled. I felt very comfortable. I had, it was a great work environment. Plus I had three kids and it was like a great way to, um, you know, be a mom full time and also do what I love, right? But I still felt that calling, like I have to go deeper. I have to help people. And you know, my kids were starting to get a little bit older and I was like, I think now's the time. Like I finally had the confidence to, to like find my own voice. Like I wanted to take all this, uh, this great skills and knowledge and information that I had and make it my own and, and, and create something that was even more, even more complex and more effective because it was reaching somebody from the inside out. Like you said, the emotional and the physical. And, and um, it was definitely hard to bridge that gap, but it was like, I, felt that it was time. Um, I, I had a lot happened in my forties where I felt like just really empowered to do a lot of new and different things. And like, I just dove right in. I haven't looked back and it's been the best decision I've ever made. Let's talk about now having kids of your own. I want to dive into that because holy cow, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, <laughs> There's no manual, nor should there be, I don't think. It's so hard with parenting. You know, you need to get a license to get a fish, but we can, <laughs> anybody can get pregnant. <laughs> but even when it's planned and we love them and we're trying hard and they have different personalities and each parent has a different personality. And your situation, even though you've been married to the same person, you know what I mean? Like it's your situation changes. And so there's not like a magic wand parenting that would even work for people. And so 
you went from having these great stable parents. Tell me, first, I think, let's talk about your relationship with your husband and mm -hmm. how how you dealt with your own body image to that because you met him and you were still going through that process. Yeah. I'm assuming at some point you had sex. You, had <laughs> you got married, you know, I mean, so how, I mean, really, how did you bridge that gap on your own? And then having kids, how do you turn around and become that great parent? Like your parents were with the knowledge of all this emotional underlying tension. Yeah. Can we do that? Well, Oh, yeah, of course. Um, first of all, my husband is amazing. He's just, he's so, so supportive. He's been supportive every step of the way, just in terms of me pursuing my passions. And I'll, I'll just say right up front, like I wasn't making the big bucks at my job. I was doing it mostly because I was felt so called to do it. You know, like I felt I wanted to help people. It was really flexible with my kids. And he, you know, thank goodness, he's just such a loving, supportive person that he was like, you know, I got this, do what you love. And, um, and then it was, you know, a bit harder when I was like, well, I actually want to leave my job and start my own business. <laughs> and it was like, okay, all right, let's, let's give it a go. You know, let's try it. He's been very supportive with it. And he also knows he saw me as that obsessive chronic dieter. And he's also seen me as this finally, like, there's a sensuality about me now that wasn't there before because when you can relish in your body and you can like bring pleasure with food again, that's sexy. I think it is, <laughs> you know, like if you see somebody who's constantly counting every calorie and is obsessed with this and like he used to come home from work and I'd be like, okay, bye. I'm going to the gym. And he'd be like, okay, what do I do for dinner? I'm like, Oh, just figure it out. <laughs> you know, and like, what about the kids? Ugh. You know, I was like, the only thing that was important to me was exercise. The only thing that was important to me was dieting. And when I let that go and I was like able to move into intrinsic, um, I'm sorry, intuitive eating and mindful eating, there's like a, a there's a, a soulfulness there now that wasn't there. There's a, a, an openness, there's a, a sensuality and, and a sexuality that I'm able to express in a different way, you know, and that's, I love that, you know, and I think he likes that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was, it was really kind of fun. We kind of went through it together um, and he sees how happy I am, which is great. But to answer your other part of the question, like I have three daughters. Okay. So I know, you know, you have daughters too. Wow. It's really tough because I'm scared to death that they're going to follow the same path that I did. Not, you know, you only have influence for so long, right? And then they're, they're, they're they succumb to these outside forces. You, you know, I don't want to be somebody who restricts their eating, who tells them what to eat, who tells them when they're hungry and when they're not. Yet you have to, you know, I feel like my job as a parent around food, at least, is just to provide the healthy options and to put it on the table over and over and over again. And ultimately they have to trust themselves and they have to understand which foods makes them feel good and which foods don't. Right. And it's okay to like sugar. It's okay. You know, we all like sugar and to make it sort of like not a big deal because I felt that, okay, I'll give you an example. My mom threw out a thing. Of, I wrote this in my book, threw out a thing of um, cookie dough, like a whole roll of cookie dough. She just tossed it in the garbage and I gingerly like went in there and I stole it and I hid it in my closet for a week. Why? Because I knew it wasn't allowed. I knew that was naughty. I knew it was bad. And I don't want them to feel like food is bad or that they're bad for eating food. 
no, 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 no. So like, they'll say like, well, how much dessert can I have? And I'm, and I'm like, I can't answer that question. Like, what do you think? Like, what is your body telling you? Are you hungry? Are you full? What are you needing? You know? And it's hard for me because on the one hand, I want them to be healthy. I want them to be active. I want them to eat healthy. And yet on the other hand, I know that putting too many rules and restrictions and regulations on them will have them be fearful of food. And that's the last thing I want. So it's a, it's a work in progress. <laughs> I totally agree. I remember I had cousins when I was growing up and we weren't, we didn't see them very often. And, um, they were very strict religious and very strict about food, like super, super strict about food. And every time we got together, we would stay in like hotel rooms and stuff. And they were probably, the oldest was probably like seven years younger than I was, but I found it so interesting. They would hoard change and buy everything that they could out of the vending machine and bring it back to our room because they wouldn't get in trouble and literally binge till they were throwing up. Yeah. Because, and it's the same thing. It's so hard with my own kids um, because some of them really, 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 really want sugar, you know, and fun dip's not good for you. <laughs> so if you got that from school at Halloween or Valentine's Day and you want to take the sugar stick and dip it into the sugar, it's not good for you. Um, and it's so, I don't know, I, there's no answer to finding that balance. Like it's really not good for you to want to eat all of that and to want to binge on it. And so that whole give knowledge and not restrict, but oh, that's it's, so hard. It's a hard balance. It really is because you don't want to be complicit in them eating junk food all day. And yet you also don't want to be like put more power on that food than it needs because it's just food. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, if it's peeps, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not sure if it's food, but you know what I mean? Like, there's a time and a place for everything. And I try to like have people, have my kids understand, like, there's nothing wrong with you wanting these. Let's just try to have balance. Let's make sure you're eating right. like a healthy balance of these other types of foods. And then of course there's special occasions, there's time for dessert sometimes, but, and, but at the same time, they also have to, they, they, mo they model what they see their parents doing, right? So, we, so it's important to me to show them that I'm cooking these healthy, balanced meals for myself. And that's an act of self-care for myself. Right. And that they see that, then that, and they see me exercising, moving my body in lots of ways now, like yoga and hiking and dancing. And like, there's no one way to move your body. You don't have to be a runner. You don't have to be, you know on the elliptical or at a spin class 24 hours a day to move your body. So I think a lot of it is just like modeling for them what you want them to do. And then like, I, because I have, I have kids that are adults. I've taught my kids how to clean every surface in this house. They, they've learned how. Yeah. <laughs> now if they move out on their own and decide and their bathroom is disgusting, it's not because they don't know how it's because it's not a priority. And it's uh, the same thing with eating, right? Mm -hmm. It's that you can, you give them, you move your body, you eat healthy, everything's in balance and you're still going to have the change machine at the hotel. You, you can't, we can't control it all, but you're right. We can set the, you can, you can set healthy limits and then, but the kid yeah. modeling it in our in our generation was different than their generation. Mm -hmm. You agree with that? Just some. Oh yeah. I mean, I was born in '70. I remember Jane Fonda. <laughs> Her workouts were 
awesome and horrible at the same time, you know, but the, the whole body image issue and just, I mean, there were a lot of emotional issues during the generation that we were raised as opposed to our kids now. Yeah. I think I'm, so. I was born in 73. So I know okay. all about Jane Fonda. Yeah. I know about the leg warmers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I mean, you know, the drugs that were a big deal then are no big deal now because they have such bigger and batter and you know the the we didn't have the computer right. there was no internet when we were growing mm -hmm. we were not subjected to this inundation of information and pressure mm -hmm. like the kids are now it's a very very hard balance so so different, so different so i think it's getting more difficult and so you have three girls and yeah. i'm assuming they're all quite different in personality Yep, they're very different. Um, I have so they're 13, uh, 10, and my little one just turned eight. So, yeah, and they're like, they couldn't be more different. So, it's like, you know, you can't parent the same. I mean, I'm the same parent, but they're also different, right? And they're influenced also by their dad and how he parents. And it's, you know, especially around food, like we have different values. Like, he, he definitely is, you know, finish all your vegetables on your plate no matter what before you even consider having dessert. And for me, <laughs> I don't want to force that on any, I don't want to force them to eat if they're not hungry. And, you know, he's more, not like a clean plate person. He's like, I don't care if you eat everything else, just finish your vegetables. And I get that. I do. I think that's, it actually makes sense. But I also, part of me worries like, but if they're not hungry and they're being forced to eat, is, how is that going to be later? You know? So you have to reconcile our own, our own values, you know, coming from different families and we're parenting in one unit, right? So they're going to be influenced by both of us. It's so it's just, there's just no, and there's no right answer because I'm the vegetable, it, you know, because in an hour you're going to tell me you're hungry again, or if there is a dessert, <laughs> which is pretty rare in our house that we're not big dessert people. And if we are, it's because I melted dark chocolate and dipped strawberries in it. Yum. So that, right, that's not, so we can talk about the breakdown of why this is not unhealthy, but if you're too full to finish your dinner, then so you, why would you have dessert, right? Right. And so, but that's whole, that's that whole, am I emotionally screwing my kids up? Because, you know. <laughs> Well, that's like why people like me exist. So, like, I can reconcile <laughs> all the things that I want messages. I want <laughs> perfect. I'll screw them up and send them to you. That's our new game plan. <laughs> <laughs> plan B. Um, so, I want to talk about your website because I've been on it and I played around a little. You have something; it's free to people because you're a coach. And people can hire you. I, you have you have different levels of coaching packages. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I have one-on-one -on -one support that some people, you know, treat the work that I do as therapy. So like someone's actually called me a food therapist. So I have people who I've worked with for like two years, like nonstop and other people, I have packages. So like I have a body reverence package, which kind of delves into some of the themes in my book. And then I have an eating empowerment package, which is like a six week, like I'm going to throw everything at you and teach you certain tools and ways to like feel really empowered in how you eat and who you are as an eater. And then I have other packages that are like three, six months, stuff like this. I have group programs and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. 
And then tell me about your seven day mindful eating course. It's a, it's free to people. So how does this help them figure out what package is right for them? Is this enough for some people on their own? I'm so, I was signing up for it when we started our zoom thing. Cause I like to go through the process. Oh, great. I interview people. Yeah. yeah. So I'll do the seven day mindful eating, but tell me a little bit about that and how that segues. Yeah, so that's a really great way to just get, um, I call it the fast track to slow eating, <laughs> because it's like a really good foundational course in how some of the basic ways that you can learn to slow down and to really nourish and, uh, you know, savor your foods, um, really sound very specific steps, like action steps each day, and along with research and some exercises. And what it does is it's a precursor to a, a larger course that I have called Unhinge the Binge. And basically it's, it's just like a way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me, some of the foundations that I do. Um, and then of course there's a, a, a much bigger option too if, you're, if people are interested and that's a paid option. I love this, Jenny. This is so great because there's so, like I said, it's so prevalent, so prevalent in our society for people to have some sort of emotional issue with their eating. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's not just your experience that we're discussing, but it's, this is solution-based. Absolutely. I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. You know, like I always feel like awareness is just the precursor to change but you actually need to take action to make change. Yeah. And that's often the bridge that doesn't get filled. It's like, we know what we need to do, but we don't know how to do it, right? Yeah. So like, I know I shouldn't have pizza every day, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna just do that. I have to find a way to do it in a way that really makes sense for me. And that is step-by-step, step, you know? I love it. Thank you so much for Thank sharing you. your experience and your information. I really appreciate you a lot. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you and uh, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon. Hello, my name is Warrior Princess. Or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.